0: Well, this past week, we've all been encouraged to remember. To remember what happened 17 years ago on September 11th. You would think that all of us who watched the second plane crash into the second tower after hearing of the first crash and turning on the news would never forget it. But a lot of things have happened since then... And even life-changing events fade into the background if they're not intentionally brought back to mind. And in our day of information overload, lapses of memory are to be expected. It's impossible to remember everything. At least, I thought so. At a preacher's meeting some years ago, one of the preachers got talking about a professor that had in seminary who had memorized the entire Bible in English and in the original languages. If a student would start a passage, he would finish it and then tell where it was found. Well, that blew me away. And if that were a qualification for ministry, I'd be digging ditches. (laughs) But fortunately, it's not. And it wasn't in Paul's day either. In our study of 2 Timothy, Paul has been encouraging Timothy to fulfill his ministry, to preach and teach with power and courage. And last week, we saw him encourage Timothy to think of himself as a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. In today's text, Paul simply encourages Timothy to remember fortunately for him, and for all who are in ministry, and as we noted, that is all of us, he only mentions three things we must absolutely remember. If we would remain motivated for ministry, we have to remember three things. And the first thing is quite simply, Jesus. 2 Timothy 2. Starting with verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal. You know, when we are frustrated or disappointed or ready to quit and can't think of a reason to keep trying, remember Jesus. He is the reason we do what we do. Sometimes we get so busy doing, even in church, that we forget he is the reason, and not just for the season. He's the reason we do what we do. He's the reason we minister As we do we tend to forget that we start asking why should I why should I work in the nursery and have to miss a great sermon (laughs) (laughs) why should I teach a Sunday school class and miss out on fellowship with other adults why should I be a youth sponsor and have to read the book adults are studying on my own? Why should I mow the grass at church while my yard looks like a jungle? Why should I do what I do around the church when few seem to appreciate it or even notice, and others aren't doing their fair share? Why should I? Because Jesus has called me to a life of ministry. That's why. And no matter how difficult things get, no matter how frustrated we become when things don't go as planned, no matter how tempted we are to give up, we remember Jesus. And we remember that He is the one who brings us back to life. Paul told Timothy to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember the one who conquered death for himself and for us. Remember he's the source of resurrection power for everyday living and for ministry. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, the King James Version misses it here. It says, remember that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That leaves it in the past. What the text actually says is, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The tense puts it in the present. We have a risen Lord who is here living among us. We must never forget that that keeps us motivated, that keeps us going. And he's a savior who understands us, who understands our needs. When Paul says Jesus is the descendant of David, he's reminding us of the fact that Jesus was human and therefore understands human struggles. He went through everything we go through. He felt the same things we feel. No doubt he was even tempted to give up. In fact, the writer of Hebrews actually tells us he was tempted in all things like as we. And that, Paul says, is part of the gospel he preaches, the gospel he's willing to suffer for, to be imprisoned for. The good news is that Jesus understands what we're going through. He's been there, and now he's here to go through the struggles we face with us. There's nothing we can't endure if we remember him, if we remember what he did and what he said. You know, he never said it'd be easy. He never said everyone would appreciate what we do. He never said everyone would love us. In fact, in John 15, 18, and 20, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That means we better expect a little hardship, a little misunderstanding, even a little suffering. And as the early church father, Tertullian, said, the man who is afraid to suffer cannot belong to him who suffered. So remember Jesus. And what he went through for you before you give up, ministering to others. Jesus has called us to ministry, and he's here to help us fulfill our assignment. So remember Jesus, and then remember those who need to hear about him. Paul continues, But the word of God is not imprisoned, for this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. Even though Paul was imprisoned, prison, the good news was not. The gospel to which he had committed his life was still free. The message he had been imprisoned for spreading was still being spread by those who had heard it. Just knowing that enabled Paul to endure the humiliation and pain of imprisonment with a sense of victory. His suffering was not in vain. What he had done was bearing fruit. Those who needed to hear the gospel... We're hearing it. So anything he had to go through was worth it. He said he was willing to suffer to get the gospel to those who were chosen. Now, that word chosen throws us, but it shouldn't. All through the Old Testament, we find God's people called His chosen ones. And over and over again, we find references to the fact that God chose us. You know, we tend to think that we chose to follow Him, and we did. But if we chose to follow Him, we have the assurance that He actually chose us before we chose Him. We didn't just stumble into relationship with our Heavenly Father. He intentionally sought us out. He knew us and our heart even before we knew Him. And He reached out and chose us even before we chose Him. Now, that does not mean that god has arbitrarily chosen to save some and to damn others. You now Romans makes it clear that god has revealed himself to everyone. And everyone has at least some opportunity to know him. And Jesus made it clear that the invitation, the call to attend the marriage feast is extended to all. Everyone is welcome. In the kingdom of God. He did, however, also make it clear that only those who respond appropriately to the call of God will be chosen to stay and enjoy the feast. Those who didn't bother to clothe themselves with the wedding clothes he provides will be cast into the outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We must respond in faith and obedience to the call of God in order to be among those who are chosen. He issues the call, but we have to accept it. And we who have accepted it have a role to play in assuring that others who have been called accept it and respond appropriately to the call of God on their life. Paul said he endured all things so those who are the chosen of God may obtain the salvation made available through Christ and find eternal glory. Just because you are chosen doesn't mean you will obtain salvation and find eternal glory. It's not enough to simply be chosen. As Paul will go on to make clear, you have to understand what Jesus did for you. You have to be willing to die with him. And you have to remain faithful to him. And those of us who have appropriately responded to the call of God in our life have to help others do the same. We have to share with them what God did for them and why. We have to tell of his love for them and the sacrifice he made for them on the cross. We have to tell them of the need to die to self before they can be born again. We have to help them endure the struggles they will face in a fallen world. We have to encourage them Remain faithful to the God who chose them and to live a life that honors Him. We must remember that our obedience not only has an effect on our standing as the chosen of God, it also enables others to retain their standing as the chosen. Again, it's not enough to simply be chosen by God. Unless someone lets you know that you've been chosen, you may never know it. That means we have to share the good news with others so they can know of God's desire for them to be in a relationship with Him. And then we have to teach them what it means to be chosen of God and how they are to live their life as the chosen of God. Now those things are learned through the ministry of those who have been chosen by God. So we must never forget our responsibility to minister to others who have also been chosen of God. We must remember that people's eternal destinies depend on our faithfulness, the faithfulness of our witness, the witness of our life and the witness of our word. That should surely keep us motivated in ministry. The eternal life of God's chosen is in our hands. And that leads us to the third thing. Paul says we must remember. Remember the reward. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, He will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. Now, this is probably part of a hymn that was sung in the early church. But since what is quoted begins with four, most feel that at least the first line of the song is missing in the quote. It's been suggested that the first line may have been something like, we shall remain faithful to our Lord even to death. And that would then lead into, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Now, Some feel that this first stanza refers to baptism, while others believe it refers to martyrdom. But really, there's no need to choose. If we're willing to die to self in Christian baptism, we should be willing to actually die. Now, that was powerfully driven home to me some years ago by a ninth-grade boy at church camp. I've shared this many times, but you're going to hear it again. The day after his baptism, he told his teacher he didn't understand something. He didn't understand why he hadn't died during his baptism the night before. He had gone under the water, but he hadn't died. The teacher was shocked and asked him why he thought he was going to die. He said it was because she had said that in baptism we die. Astonished, the teacher asked why he had agreed to be baptized, thinking he would actually die. He said he just figured that since others who were there had been baptized, God would bring him back to life like he had them. His faith blew us all away. But isn't that what we should be expressing at baptism? A willingness to die because we know we will live again. We should be willing to endure anything, even death itself, because we know one day we will reign with him. Indeed, it's the promise of the future that gives us the strength to endure the present. So we cannot forget the future. It's promise, nor it's warning. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, He will also deny us. You know, we love the promise Jesus gave us in Matthew 10, 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But The promise also comes with a warning in verse 33. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, that's basically what Paul says in quoting the hymn. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That much, I think, is clear. The last stanza, however, is a bit confusing. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Now, some see this as a warning. Others see it as a promise. Those who see it as a warning believe it's saying that if we are faithless, God will remain faithful to Himself, and He'll do what He says He'll do. He'll judge us. He will condemn us. Those who see it as a promise suggests he's saying that if we want to serve him and have a heart for ministry, even if we fail him and fall short, he remains faithful and will forgive and accept us. Now, I tend to lean toward the promise interpretation. However, as the highly regarded German New Testament scholar, Jeremiah wrote, these words are not a charter for sin and apostasy, but rather a consolation for a frightened conscience. Conscience. The promise that God will remain faithful is not license to sin. It's simply the assurance that his promises remain valid, even if ours are broken. Remembering that will keep us motivated to continue striving for the prize, even if we grow weak or tired or stumble along the way. If we can just remember three things, we can remain motivated for ministry. If we remember Jesus those who need our ministry and our future reward, we can find what's needed to continue a life of service and ministry. We can surrender our weaknesses, doubts, fears, and failures. We can surrender our all to him. We can endure. We can take it. We can keep going until he calls us home. Let's remember and therefore surrender.